videos because this is fully on Parliament uh, TV and other channels uh, have logged in, as you've indicated. So only under extreme challenges that members are, cannot show their videos, but we'll plead with members to show their videos for the decorum of the House. Thank you. And Honorable Chief Whip, I just want to say to members that sometimes mem some members will say they've got a challenge of the reception. We can see technically um, why, uh, if ever you have a challenge. The, there are three arrows next to your names. It's either red, that is when you have a challenge. When it's yellow, it's, it, it's you know, a, a, a moderate. And when it's white, you have got full coverage. So we do see it technically. Um, it's just that we will not be in the house to say this is not on and, and that. But we do see. And I just wanted to advise that, they, you know, to support that, that we really need that. Um, because also members of the public, they send, I think we will have to compile just that evidence to say we get calls to say, now you want us to watch Parliament TV, but you are showing us blank uh, uh, spaces. So what is it that we must do? That is what the public is asking. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Ms. Monso. Uh, may I confirm if the uh, Honorable Protest said this uh, in the house? Honorable Protest said? A bit. Honorable Protestant. Not in the house, Secretary. It's not on the platform, Advocate. It's not in the house, okay. No, uh, now so it's coming in now, Advocate. Oh, okay. Okay, thank yeah. you very much. Okay. Chairperson, uh, uh, is the chairperson ready? Chair? Yes, I'm ready. Okay, thank you very much, Chair. Um, Chairperson, the house is in order. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, greetings to everybody and greetings to everyone. Um, in keeping with our own tradition, uh, I will now bow to, to my right and bow to, to my left. Uh, having done so, I will now request delegates to observe a moment of silence for prayer uh, or meditation. Thank you very much. Recording in uh, progress. Uh, constitutes a sitting of the National Council of Provinces. That the place of the sitting is deemed to be Cape Town, where the seat of the National Council of Provinces is. That delegates 
in the virtual sitting enjoy the same powers and privileges that apply in a sitting of the National Council of Provinces, that the purpose of the quorum, the purpose of the quorum, all delegates who are locked onto the virtual platform shall be considered uh, present. That delegates must, must delegates must always switch on their videos. That delegates should ensure that the microphones of the on their gadgets are muted and must always remain muted. That the interpretation facility is active. All delegates are requested to ensure that the interpretation facility on their gadgets are properly activated to facilitate access to the interpretation, interpretation services. That any delegate who wishes to speak must raise, must use the raise your hand function. And as, as well, I've always said that uh, uh, by now members are familiar with the raise, raise your hand function and or icon. Honorable delegates, uh, in accordance with Council Rule 2291, there will be no notice of motion or motions without uh, 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 notice. Um, uh, to move on, honorable delegates, before we proceed to questions, I would like to take this opportunity to welcome the Deputy President. Welcome, Deputy President. Thank you. Thank you. We'll also welcome the, the MECs, uh, the speakers, and all special delegates to, to, the, to the House. Further, I would like to make the following remarks, that the time for reply by the Deputy President to a question is five minutes. Uh, we always try to re remind the uh, uh, participants uh, of the, the time times allocated. So the time for reply by the Deputy President to your question is five minutes. That only four supplementary questions are allowed uh, per questions. Uh, four supplementary questions per questions uh, per question. That a member who has asked the initial question would be the first to be afforded an opportunity to ask a supplementary question. And, and lastly, that the time for asking supplementary questions is two minutes. Um, uh, that the time to reply to a supplementary question is four minutes. Uh, and that's not lost as well. That the supplementary question must emanate from the initial question. Uh, we've already uh, said that. It's just an emphasis. Um, our first question, our first question uh, is a question to the Deputy President. And the question is, is on the disruption of services in flood affected areas in KZN. Uh, this question is uh, to the Deputy President, is asked by Honorable, Honorable BB. Um, as I've said, to the uh, Deputy President. Uh, Deputy President. Thank you, thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Good afternoon to you and all the members. The recent floods and heavy rains in the province of KwaZulu Natal and some parts of the Eastern Cape, as well as <coughs> Northwest, 
have indeed brought untold misery and suffering. We have witnessed severe damage and destruction of houses, property, infrastructure, loss of homes, personal possession, as well as unprecedented loss of lives and livelihoods. With the devastation felt mostly acute in KwaZulu-Natal province. Once again, we want to express our deepest condolences to all the families and relatives of the people who have lost their lives during this natural disaster and the tragic calamity. Our thoughts and prayers goes to all the families whose members are still not accounted for. We remain hopeful that continued recovery and rescue effort will help us find closure in this regard. In responding to the damage that has been brought about by the devastating floods, on the 18th of April, 2022, the president declared a national state of disaster. As an effective response by all spheres of government to this disaster, in the main, this is to enable and allow to us to coordinate and deploy all the necessary resources to affected areas as part of its rapid response intervention. In terms of the national state of disaster, the primary responsibility to coordinate and manage the disaster is assigned to the national spheres of government, of course, working closely with provincial government and municipalities of the affected areas. This enabled the mobilization of resources, capabilities, technical expertise in providing relief, recovery, and rehabilitation to the affected communities. In this regard, the Department of Cooperative Governance, Traditional Affairs, through the National Disaster Management Center is coordinating response and recovery measures by the relevant organs of state and state, uh, stakeholders. The organs of state across all spheres of government have also activated contingency measures in line with their respective mandates and integrated institutional arrangement to deal with the disaster. As part of an integrated response to this disaster, Government has developed an integrated flood response and recovery plan that outlines the multi-sectoral response and recovery efforts to be implemented by all stakeholders in the affected communities. Through this plan, government has adopted a three-point approach to the disaster and recovery, which is summarized as follows. Phase one is the immediate humanitarian relief to ensure that all affected persons are safe and that their basic needs are, are met. Phase two accounts for the stabilization and recovery, which includes rehousing the people who have lost their homes and restoring provision of services. And phase three constitute the reconstruction and rehabilitation with a focus on building better building back better. In line with this approach, government activated a joint response technical team 
comprising of uh, uh, search and rescue specialists from all first responders across the, the Republic, private and uh, volunteer organizations in order to spearhead the search and rescue operations, as well as provide humanitarian relief to all communities that are affected by this disaster in KZN. The team is based in Virginia Airport and is supported by the South African Police Air Wing and the South African National Defense with a variety of resources, including aircraft engineers as well as water bankers and tankers, support the provision of basic services to the affected areas. As part of the rapid response intervention, the National Disaster Management Center reported that of, as of the 30th of April 22, uh, 2022, 8,096 people in Guazul-Natal were being accommodated. Government with the support of the business sector, non-governmental organizations, civil society, communities, to continue implement intervention, including provisions of food, essential materials such as blankets, uniforms, chronic medication, psychosocial support services. Progress reports are regularly received from affected provinces and national sector departments who are helping to improve coordination of this intervention. We must, however, acknowledge that much needs to be done in order to return the situation to normality. Communities like Tongati, the surrounding areas are still facing water challenges, flowing from the collapse of the water plant, supplying community with current assessment. I know that the Deputy President has a, a lot of information to share. <laughs> Thank you. But the Deputy President will remind it. We, we only need the response to be given uh, in, in five minutes. Uh, uh, so I'll, I'll ask the Deputy President to wind up. Uh, maybe uh, another opportunity will be provided. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you uh, Honorable Chairperson. As we conclude, uh, we'd like to express our gratitude an appreciation to all our partners, including individuals, businesses, non-governmental organization and development partners who have stepped up to collaborate with government in assisting our affected communities. It is in working together that we can recover from this situation and continue with our rebuilding efforts. Thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson. Yeah, thank you very much, uh, Deputy President. Um, uh, BB, first supplementary question. Uh-huh. Ugutu eka mela bantu base kwa zulu natari. Mina oba melela. Gitena futu kutu hulu nene. Asha shise nunguta kinseli ise uguti. Ama kama ugutu umana. Amingo mumo. 
ukuqhuba nokusheshisa umsebenzi kuleyo umphakathi eyakhahla nezeko kananjalo mongamisekela mongameli besicelo ukuthi labo abajikeleza abafuna ukuthi baxhamule ngeensiza enikezwa abantu abashukumezekile ezigcina bengasazitholi sacela sekela mongameli ukwazi ukuthi ukubheke lokho usitshele kabanzi ukuthi uzokwenza kanjani ukuthi futhi uchazele sekela mongameli izwe kabanzi maphethelo ukumsebenzisa lolusizo ofone ukuthi luthobakalo emphakathini ngiyabonga sihlalo baba nawe sekela mongameli baba thank you very much Thank you, thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson. We would like to reiterate our commitment that all checks and balances will be put in place to ensure that there's no corruption involved in the implementation of the post-disaster recovery measures. As government, we are determined to ensure that the efforts of recovery and rebuilding in the affected areas should proceed with the necessary speed and agency and are not disrupted by any form of corrupt activities. We'll continue to coordinate all the role players that they're trying to put uh, uh, support services on the ground, um, supporting in the main the efforts by the Department of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs. We'll set up our district development platform as an accounting platform that will enable us to fast track the provision of services so that we can quickly restore life to the affected communities. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Deputy President. Uh, the first supplementary question will, will come from uh, uh, the DA uh, team protesters. Tim. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Mr. Deputy President, Honorable Bibi, or as we know her, Mama, raises a very important question. From your response, you clearly understand that the situation is dire. As a representative of KZN in this House and as a member of the ad hoc committee, which unfortunately has still not been established, I can assure you that hundreds of thousands of residents in Etigrini are living without sustained and reliable access to water. It is clear, Mr. Deputy President, that massive funding will be, will be required. The estimates are between 17 to 25 billion. A promising start was made when on April 18, 18 April 2022, President Ramaphosa announced to the nation that the Minister of Finance has said that a 1 billion rand is immediately available and will be approaching Parliament for the appropriation of additional resources. In this context, you can imagine the surprise of my colleague, Honourable Francois Rogers, and the members of the KZN legislature, including the ANC, when he was informed by the KZN MEC for COCTA that there were no funds available from National Treasury to deal with the crisis. In his words, zilch, zero, nothing. 
This clearly contradicts the pronouncements of the president and leaves KZN in a position we will have to borrow money from other essential budgets to resolve the crisis. Province cannot afford this, and Etigrini certainly has no hope of paying that kind of money. Mr. Deputy President, I will help you and make this a simple multiple choice question. Honorable Deputy President, in terms of funding, who is being economical with the truth? A, the President, B, the Minister of Finance, C, the MEC, or D, all of the above? I thank you. Deputy President. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson, and thanks for the question. I think the Honourable Member should appreciate the fact that uh, uh, the disaster was so severe that uh, even today we are still looking for missing people. Uh, a lot of operations are happening on the ground and a lot of intervention to restore life, get all the victims to to be safe are happening. The Minister of Finance has directed the province to reprioritize some of their programs so that they can take care of the disaster. Whatever the shortfall will be, the National Department of COCTA as well as National Treasury will augment the shortfall. That has been established as we are speaking. The Department of Water and Sanitation has delivered almost 82 water tankers, transporting water to all the affected um, families. Equally so, the Department of uh, Water and Sanitation has deployed engineers, electrical, dam safety engineers, all kinds of expertise to the affected area. Now, the Department of Home Affairs has established a, some mobile units to try and assist people who have lost their documents. So work is happening. Social development is there, providing food, parcels, uh, to all the affected families. And COCTA has already provided some tanks, water tanks, so that these water tankers can put water in those tanks. People can have water. By that, I'm trying to say there are a number of efforts that are put in place to try and respond to the situation. We understand the severity of the uh, challenge, but we think in due time, will rescue all the people there and the necessary support will be given to them. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Mr. President. The next supplementary question comes from the EFF, Honorable Lutuli. Ngebonge Salo. Sagala Mungamed, Siakondo, what's Sigo Pela Inyanga Manje, is Pitongo, is a Shaban Bagasul Natal, a Besink Ingen, Genae Kukula. Namanje, Inigilaba, Bagatulagali, a Kulaba Babila Sigil, Inizabando de Api, Shiga was obey Manje, I got like him. Say a pond was from the seventeen Pilonama Rand, or what's what was suggested Solagas will not die. Umbuzogi, a Segla Mongamedo was cut to seventeen 
billion amarandu kwa gowa anu mangabu kuta kusiko no kutuwa ke imizi ya bandule ya pishiga no kutulu ngiso imu kwa kule eyo nakala umangabu kutilo 17 billion ngonye ya uzo ya ka imizi uzo kwa kiwa nini na sipis kazi ukusepia abandipazu kuti bali ndele nini ukusibabu yele emakaya abo siyabonga Deputy President Thank you very much Honorable Speaker and thanks to the question uh, our response to the disaster in KZN, like I said, is divided into three phases. The first phase was to immediately provide humanitarian relief to ensure that all affected persons are safe, they are moved to safety places, <coughs> and that some minimum basic services are met. So we have ensured that, uh, I'm aware that uh, some families are intense. Uh, we, we are transporting water just to give them immediate humanitarian relief. Now, the second phase is to stabilize the recovery process, which includes building of these houses, to those people who have lost their houses and try and restore the basic services to our people. That will be the second phase, but the first uh, phase yeah. must get all our people safe. Then the third phase will be the medium and long-term one, which is the reconstruction and rehabilitation with the focus, like I said, of building back better. Try and uh, build those bridges, try and build those roads. Uh, it will take a bit of time, but we want to ensure that life, livelihood is restored. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Deputy President. The last supplementary question will come from the AFP. Honorable Hattab. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson, Honorable Deputy President. Some services are very important, such as electricity and water, as they have major implications on the community and their ability to live or go to work. With regards to offering the people facing these disruptions the shortest possible time frame, I would like to know what are the implications from the devastations on the needed human, technical, and resources needed, and how will people be assisted in conducting the relevant government service providers to request a repair or replacement of vital services? Thank you, Honorable Chair. Honorable Deputy President. Thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson, and thanks to the Honorable Member uh, for the question. The Honorable Member would uh, remember that all MECs in um, KZN, as they table their budget votes, starting from the Department of Health, uh, COCTA, all as they table their votes, 
they have reprioritized their budget. They've set aside money to go and deal with the immediate services that our people need. In this case, Department of Health will look at uh, all the clinics that have been vandalized because of the floods. Uh, Department of Education will deal with some of the schools that have been damaged by the floods. So all line departments have set aside money to respond. But on top of that, COCTA will support monetary-wise, will support KZN, National Treasury will support KZN, and all other provinces, uh, the nine provinces have assisted KZN in one form or another. All the specialists that are there, those who have tried to dive and find people, those who are rescuing people are coming from all over our country. So the support that is given to KZN, it's acceptable. It's at a good level. Of course, we can uh, uh, be worried about the pace, but as we want to build, we must build better so that we don't encounter such a situation in future. All the houses that are going to build, we must find land suitable uh, out of these flooding zones so that we build the houses for the people. I can assure honorable members and assure our people that we will finally restore the life of our people. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, um, Deputy President. Uh, that honorable members uh, takes us to the next question. Uh, and the question is on uh, compliance with uh, the court order. Uh, this compliance with the court order is a question that comes from uh, uh, G. Mikalakis and is to the Deputy President. Deputy President. Thank you, thank you, Honorable Chair. When we responded to this question uh, on Maluti Apofong local municipality on the 15th of June, 2021, we indicated the process that was underway to finalize the service de deliver agreement between the municipality then and ESCO. We further stated that such an agreement will include all modalities for collections of revenue as directed on the 8th of June, 2021 by the court. This view was based on an understanding that the agreement will result in a sustainable resolution of the municipality's outstanding escalating debt, which was having a negative impact on the reliable provision of water, sanitation, and other basic services. However, the court order lapsed on the 22nd of June, 2021, due to some terms and conditions of the distribution agency agreement not being agreed upon and finalized by the two parties. That means ESCOM and the municipality could not finalize the agreement. 
Further to this, the local government elections also impacted on the smooth finalization of the activities that are linked to the agreement, including putting into effect the court order. To this end, the Department of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs has advised that the two parties are now preparing to go back to court to adjudicate on the matter and for the court to grant the final order in order to bring finality to this dispute. This means that as far as ESCOM distribution agency agreement is concerned, this is still subject to the court process. Notwithstanding the court processes, Honorable Chair, the newly elected leadership in that municipality has acknowledged the debt owed to ESCOM and has equally expressed its commitment to servicing the current electricity account. This demonstrates the political will by the municipal leadership to find mechanism to reduce Malutia Pofong local municipality debt and ensure that ESCOM is paid for its services, thus ensuring an interruption of supply of electricity to the municipality. This commitment is evinced by a joint statement on the 22nd of April 2022, where in ESCOM and Malutia Pofong local municipality announced a breakthrough in this long-standing impasse to a smooth delivery of electricity in the area. In terms of this development, the parties have agreed that ESCOM will install protection equipment on Maluta Pofong local municipality substations. The municipality will switch off all the substations so that ESCOM can switch back power without the risk of tripping. ESCOM will change the billing dates from 15 to the 28th of each and every month, the municipality will pay its current account for the next six months and thereafter engage ESCOM on the payment of their area's debt. Thereafter, the two parties will reopen the active partnering discussion. It is our understanding that some of these areas of agreement have already been met by Maluta Pofong local municipality. This is a good sign towards finding a last, uh, lasting solution to the problem of sustainable services that must be delivered to the people of Maluta Perform. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Thank you very much, uh, Deputy President. Uh, we'll now have the, the first supplementary question that will come from uh, Honorable Clay Nans, uh, who is standing in for Honorable uh, Mikalakis. Uh, um, Honorable thank, thank you, Chairperson, and thank you, Deputy President, for the response. However, um, the agreement which you referred to has already failed because Maluti Apufung could not make the second payment. Um, on the current account, which they had agreed to do. Deputy President, 280,000 residents of Kwakwa in Malutiapofung uh, municipality have been engaged in desperate, violent protests due to an almost complete lack of electricity and a consequent lack of water, closure of schools, clinics, and businesses. 
The special economic zone and factories near Tsiami were without electricity for 50 days in December and January this year. In June of 2021, in this house, you said that MAP must sign and implement the ESCOM agreement as ordered by the Gauteng High Court on the 8th of June. To date, 10 months later, this has not happened. The proposed ESCOM agreement was first tabled in the Militia Apufun Council in December 2020, after more than two years of high-level negotiations in the ESCOM task team, of which you were the chairperson. Deputy President, have you done anything from your side to ensure that the court order is honoured? If not, why not? And if so, why has it failed? We all know that this is a different sphere of government, but there are mechanisms to intervene. Do you, as Deputy President, have so little authority to persuade your comrades to follow the law in the interests of the people? Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Kainans. Uh, we'll then revert back to the Deputy President. Uh, thank Deputy you, thank President. you, Honorable Chairperson. From the side of uh, uh, our office, we've done everything possible to get these two parties together. Even in the drafting of the agreement, we're involved. Of course, what delayed the implementation was uh, the fact that the municipality must do public consultation. And it took forever until the local government elections. And beyond that, the leadership of the municipality was voted out. There's a new leadership in that municipality that came in and acknowledged the debt and went and discussed with ESCOM about how they are going to repay. As we are speaking, the municipality is paying. Then after six months, they will be able to sit down and review uh, the agreement, which uh, they hope they must enter into it. In the main, they want to enter into this agreement because they want to put new smart meters so that uh, the billing system is corrected. Now, they are entering into this agreement because of illegal connections that is now overpowering the substations. That is why they say all the substations the municipality will switch them off and ESCOM will switch them on so that uh, we run away from uh, overloading the substations because if they trip on their own, there's a lot of damage that is happening in those uh, uh, substations. So ESCOM should monitor the switching of this substation on and ensure that there's no further damage. So sitting here where I'm sitting, I can say, Honorable Member, that these two parties are making progress because there is now an acknowledgement and they are working together. So we should support them. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Deputy President.
The next supplementary question comes from the ANC, Honorable Todobu. Thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson. And let me take this opportunity to also thank the Deputy President for the comprehensive response to the question. And as he said, currently the municipality is under the coalition of MEP and the DA and all of these recent problems are experienced under that coalition and not the coalition of the ANC because at that time there were payments uh, to ESCOM as such. And thank you very much for that uh, response. But having said that, Honorable Chair, I want to ask the Deputy President that given the fact that the municipality and ESCOM have reached this breakthrough on a long-standing impasse on the 22nd of April 2022, what will the role of the Deputy President be as a leader of the rapid response intervention on service delivery and troubleshooting to ensure that the very same municipality of MEP and ESCOM stick to the conditions of the agreement. Because if any of the parties fail to honor the agreement, that will cause more problems to the municipality. Thank you very much, Honorable Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Todovo, Deputy President. Thank you, thank you, Honorable Chair, and thanks for the question. No, Chair, our role is still valid in this impasse. We're going to uh, request the two parties finally to enter into an agreement. Because one, their billing system has totally collapsed. It's incorrect. People are being billed monies in an incorrect system. So ESCOM has agreed that they can help the municipality to put new smart meters that will give us almost a better billing system. That is one. But the municipality again is buying electricity and the demand out there is more than what the municipality is buying. So we have got more illegal connection out there than what the municipality can afford to buy. So we need to separate all the legal connections from those people that are legally connected to the grid. And that can only be done by ESCOM so that finally the municipality can get out of this debt work together with the ESCOM team so that finally ESCOM will get its money and the people will get electricity. So we'll insist on this agreement to be signed finally. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Deputy President. Uh, the next supplementary question comes from the EFF. Uh, Honorable DeBrain. Sorry, sorry, FF Plus. So the next supplementary question from FF Plus, Honorable Brain. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Uh, Deputy President, seeing as numerous municipalities faces the same problem as Molotia performed <coughs> regarding its debt to ESCOM, 
Will it be considered to implement the same type of procedures and not necessarily court-mandated, where ESCOM can collect directly from the public to ensure that debt from defaulting municipalities to ESCOM are being attended to, and especially for the municipalities that do not honor their payment agreements to ESCOM? Thank you. Deputy President. Thanks, uh, Honorable Chair. Thanks for the question. Currently, a number of municipalities are battling to repay their debts. Um, it's uneven. They are paying this month, they are not paying the following month. Now, we have proposed to, to these municipalities as the task team, we have proposed that they should enter into an agreement with the ESCOM so that they can find a way of managing this debt and correcting their billing system so that services are not disrupted. We have not yet received uh, responses from these municipalities that we have done to the leadership of municipalities that happened before the elections. So we have not spoken to the leadership of the new leadership of our municipalities that were elected after the election. But I agree with the honorable member, that is the, the right uh, path to follow because mostly in these municipalities, uh, we lack the necessary expertise to deal with this problem. So the best is to bring ESCOM closer, help municipalities to manage their electricity and their distribution network. Some of the distribution network has been uh, breached by communities and they are stealing this electricity. So ESCOM must come in and help the municipality to try and clean the distribution lines. So the only solution is to have municipalities partnering with ESCOM in the delivery of electricity. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Deputy President. The last supplementary question will come from the EFF. Uh, Honorable Muletani. Uh, Thank you, Chairperson. Deputy President, the delay in reaching an agreement reveals lack of leadership capacity and lack of willingness to manage or resolve the electricity crisis in this country. As just last month in April, three members of the community of Makwani in Kwakwa were shot with live ammunition during a protest while demanding restoration of electricity. Why else has it taken so long to reach a working agreement with ESCOM in this province as the delays amount to nothing more than a deliberate attempt at collapsing the economy. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you very much, Honorable Mlizane. Honorable Deputy President. Thank you, Honorable Chair, and thanks for the question. The Honorable Member will appreciate the fact that uh, local government is a sphere of government on its own. It's autonomous. Now, the only way to intervene in a, in a municipality 
We have got different legislation that can allow you to intervene. In our case, we're trying to bring two parties together to find a solution. We're not imposing ourselves. We're looking at what is best for the people. In this case, I must say, however, that we were disappointed by the leadership of the municipality then because they were dragging their feet, not willing to enter into this agreement with, the, with ESCO. And I'm saying this time around, we're encouraged by this leadership that is now leading the municipality because on their own volition, they've approached ESCOM, they've acknowledged the debt, and they've made arrangements to pay. And they're going to review this arrangement after six months. So we, we are now entering a new phase, which is giving us hope because the leadership of the municipality is now prepared to work with ESCOM to deal with the problem. That will encourage. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Deputy President. Uh, this takes us to the next question, uh, which is question nine. Uh, and this question is on stimulating and or supporting rural and or township economy. Uh, stimulating and or supporting rural and or township economy. This question is all raised by Honorable Kai and is directed to the Deputy uh, President. Deputy President. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Government understands the negative impact and of inefficient business processes and regulatory barriers on business investment and activity. To overcome these challenges, the president has prioritized the coordination of government measures on the ease of doing business in the country. As communicated by the president earlier this week at the Africa Mining in Daba, these regulatory and administrative efforts anchor our economic recovery and our reconstruction efforts. In this regard, a red tape reduction office is being established in the private office of the president and was announced by the president in the 2022 State of the Nation address. This work of men's initiative that are already underway through Operation Vulinlev which is focused on resolving regulatory reform pack blockages in network industries, speeding out the issuing of mining licenses and water licenses, as well as environment authorizations. The office will deal with policy and regulatory matters that are coordinated at national level, and also focus on resolutions of provincial and local functions in partnership with the Presidential Coordinating Council. Currently, ongoing efforts within government are focused on resolving the following impediments to business investment 
in township and rural communities. Inefficient delivery of basic services by municipalities, poor customer relationship management system in municipalities, inadequate municipal policies and bylaws, as well as regulations, inefficient supply chain management processes across government, lengthy land development processes and their turnaround time, lengthy building plans, approval processes and their turnaround time, poor management of informal traders by municipalities. In resolving these impediments, the focus is on establishing standardized regulations across all spheres of government for emerging businesses in an attempt to, en to enhance economic growth and create employment. Whilst all our efforts are directed at resolving these issues, there's already significant work that has been undertaken to reduce red tape and promote the ease of doing business. Part of this effort includes championing of the sub-national doing business reforms by National Treasury and the Department of Trade, Industry and Competition, which is tracking progress in metropolitan municipalities across four regulatory areas. This address issues of construction permits, getting electricity, registering property, and enforcing contracts. The initiative is being implemented through the city support program to inspire better regulatory practices, improve the experiences of small businesses, and to encourage entrepreneurship. Government is supported by the World Bank Group, the Swiss State Secretariat for Economic Affairs, and the United Kingdom Property Fund in this initiative. Indeed, we have found that there are good practices in South Africa comparable to other developed countries. Of course, there's a potential for improvement through emulation of good practices where we may be lacking. Since the start of the subnational doing business reforms initiative, a number of key reforms have been achieved which have benefited SMMEs irrespective of their location. This includes the launch of the Peace Portal, which is a new integrated digital platform for companies to register to ensure smooth and seamless business registration. Simplifying construction permits through automation and circulation internally of site development plans for stems by the land use management department within all metropolitan municipalities. Reducing the number of procedures, time and costs for SMMEs to obtain permanent electric, electricity connection and supply and to move, improve the reliability of supply transparency of tariffs and the price of electricity. Registration of property has been made more transparent. of documents required in conveyancing on the new deeds website and less costly by reducing 
the transfer tax. Thank you very much. Uh, Thank you, Deputy President. The first supplementary question will come from Honorable uh, Chai. Honorable Chai. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson. Uh, greetings to the Deputy President. And uh, thank you very much for the response. Uh, Honorable Deputy President, the Red Tape in Government around approval of licenses and other business-related applications is both systemic and a deliberate act by some government officials while soliciting bribes and kickbacks. Accordingly, government efforts to enhance the ease of doing business, as announced by the president in a state of the nation address, is not just about enhancing efficiencies, but change of values, mindsets, and work ethos in favor of transforming the economy to benefit the majority. Honorable Deputy President, are there plans and programs for reskilling and retraining of public servants across the three spheres of government about this new approach? And will there be consequences against the public servants who want to continue with the red tape and corruption? Thank you very much, Honorable Deputy President. Thank you very much, Honorable Khai. Honorable Deputy President. Thank you, uh, Honorable Chairperson. We must at the outset uh, say as government we are committed uh, to only not root out corruption, but to strengthen the environment in which public representatives and officials alike perform their duties and responsibilities to the highest standards of ethics and integrity. The code of conduct requires that government departments to establish ethics committees and to appoint ethics officers as one of the means of strengthening good governance and ethical conduct in the public service. Furthermore, as part of government's effort to ensure that public service employees are at all levels displaying the highest level of integrity and accountability. The National School of Government provides various training programs to officials in the public service, which are targeted at improving the delivery of services and bringing back the integrity of the state. The National Anti-Corruption Strategy, Chairperson, you'll remember that was adopted in November 2022, which seeks to strengthen the fight against corruption. The strategy rallies everyone towards a common good, common goal in the fight against corruption in reducing the red tape, the introduction of automating various administrative processes has also presented an opportunity for training of our officials in these measures. Thank you very much. Uh, Thank you very much, uh, Deputy President. Uh, 
The second supplementary question comes from the AFP. Honorable Khatab. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Honorable Deputy President, we can agree that uh, the people of this country, especially the rural and township economy, must not find it difficult to conduct business in their own country. However, <clears throat> please unmute and go on. However, legislative requirements are not always a bad thing as it protects illicit activities which impact on economies such as rural and township due to copper theft. Given the losses that Prasa and ESCOM face due to copper cable theft and the effect on these economies, I would like to know whether government will consider imposing tighter regulations on recycling companies to trade copper and rather grant licenses to certain companies to receive it in a bid to stop theft and maintain records. If so, how will all types of economies be allocated these licenses to trade copper? Thank you, Honorable Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Deputy President. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson. As government, we have committed ourselves to deal with inefficient delivery of basic services by municipalities together with the provincial governments. We are going to work together with these three other two spheres of government where we're going to converge at the district level. So we consider that platform a very important platform that will enable the three spheres of government to talk to each other. It's at that level that we're going to deal with inadequate policies in municipalities, inadequate bylaws and regulations. We're also going to deal with supply chain management, and the lengthy process of land acquisition and the turn, turnaround time should be shortened. The, the time we, we take in approving a business plan or a building plan, whatever plan, the time we take to approve an environmental assessment a, a study, all those needs to be shorted so that we can allow businesses to do their work as quick as possible. But that should not mean that we're going to allow illicit behaviors. We're going to open door for criminals to come and corrupt the system. But we were, were also interested in uh, pulling all the informal traders and make them formal through our bylaws, through our regulations, so that everyone who's trading is trading in a formal way, recognized way within the laws of this country. So we're going to resolve all these impediments 
at the district level where we meet with municipalities and meet with uh, provinces. Because some of the roles belong to municipalities, some of the roles belong to provinces, and some of the roles belong to national department. So together we must meet and shorten the time to do business. In that way, we'll be dealing with the red tape. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Thank you, Deputy President. The next uh, supplementary question comes from the third supplementary question comes from uh, Honorable Plenty of the EFF. Uh, Chairperson, I'll be taking uh, this moment of the EFF. May I continue? Please proceed. Thank you, Chairperson of the Council. Deputy President, what we are seeing in the Ministry of Small Business is completely clownish and playing with people's minds. And these people are those who are serious about doing business. They suffer because of lack of consequence management from the ANC government. Those who defraud the system knows that there's absolutely nothing that is going to happen to them. Don't you see this move of uh, directing, dealing with the red tape to the presidency as a duplicate of responsibility between the presidency and the Ministry of Small Business? And in a way, uh, do you agree that this move uh, might trans be translating into a motion of no confidence on the Ministry of uh, Small Business. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Mkawusa. Uh, Honorable <laughs> Deputy President. No, thanks. Uh, thanks, Honorable Chair, and thanks to the Honorable Member. I don't see this move really as uh, uh, showing a vote of no confidence to any minister, but I think this move is trying to address a real problem which does not really rely on uh, what is happening on the Minister of Small Business. There are a number of ministries that must also deal with the red tape. I, I can put an example of uh, the Minister of Environment, Forestry and Fisheries. They are responsible for EIAs that takes ages to approve, a business will wait for an EIA to be approved before they can start. It will take a year. And we are also concerned as government, this side, well, we're saying people must come and invest in our country and we take a year to approve a, an environmental assessment study. Now to give a license, water license, it takes two years. So we are now busy with all these red tapes. We're shortening the time frame. We want to know why it should take a year, why it should take uh, two years to issue a water license. So there are many red tapes in government which are not really in consonance with the, the way we want to 
boost our economy. We're calling for investment, we want to grow the economy, but when you get into the system, the system slows you down. So this is what we're doing in trying to introduce this so that the president as head of government must know what is happening, why this delay of issuing a water license, why this delay of issuing an environmental impact assessment. So I don't think uh, really we are targeting any minister who are passing a vote of no confidence to anyone, but I think we're trying to address the system itself. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Deputy President. Uh, the last supplementary question comes from the DA, Honorable Boshoff. Thank you very much, Honorable Chair. Um, if I may, um, good afternoon, Honorable Deputy President. Deputy President, will you today prove to us that you really care for township and rural development by one, agreeing to adopt the ease of doing business bill as introduced by the DA to the NA, two, by committing to ensure that the Gauteng Township Economic Bill, which was promulgated into law on Friday, 29th of April, 2022, does not run roughshod over the constitutional rights of foreign nationals. And three, finally tell us how you will handle all the possible threats levied against you and your government to challenge this, this law by a pro-migrant lobby group. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Boshoff. Honorable Deputy President. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chair, and thanks for the question. Well, as government, we, we are open to any persuasion. Uh, we are open to listen to any advices that seeks to improve the current condition. And we will be happy to look at the DA's proposal. Uh, but remember, a proposal is a proposal. Uh, we can take what is good from the proposal and leave what is, we think is not good. Uh, I think we should appreciate that. But from the side of the president, we have acknowledged the shortcoming and the failure of government to support business. Now, this initiative that the president has taken to introduce this office in his inner office is to try and respond to this challenge. And I think it's adequate. We have got now two separate offices. We have got Operation Volindlela, which is also seeking to look at the progress of implementation of our pro, uh, programs, why the delay, but the red tape office will always pick up specific areas that must be addressed, which we feel as government, uh, we need to shorten the time frame. Outside criticism that are coming from 
the public. There are areas where we see ourselves as government that they are not user-friendly, they are not promoting the ease of doing business. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much, uh, De Deputy President. Uh, the next question is a question on ministers answering parliamentary questions. Ministers answering parliamentary questions. The question has been uh, uh, is from uh, Honorable SF Great and is to the uh, Deputy uh, President. Deputy President. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Uh, if I may remember very well, Chairperson, we have in the past responded to this question in both the Houses of Parliament, wherein as the executive, we reaffirmed our commitment to fulfill our constitutional obligation of accountability to Parliament. The Constitution stipulates that cabinet members are accountable collectively as a collective and individually as individuals to Parliament for the exercise of their powers and the performance of their functions. To give effect to this, Parliament has developed its own mechanism to monitor outstanding responses to parliamentary questions by members of the executive. The Speaker of the National Assembly further proposed new mechanisms to monitor outstanding responses to parliamentary questions by members of the executive, which were adopted in August 2021 and effected as amendments to the rules. Similarly, we've used the same mechanisms to monitor responses to questions from National Council of Provinces. For our part, the leader of government business in parliament has taken the necessary steps according to the rules of parliament to ensure executive accountability to parliament. At every cabinet meeting, we present a report on parliamentary matters, including scheduled appearance of ministers through their various clusters to brief an account to parliament. As part of this report, the status of all outstanding responses to questions for written reply in both the National Assembly and National Council of Provinces is presented to Cabinet. We do write to members of the executive requesting them to prioritize responding to unanswered written questions. It, 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 it needs it, it need a thorough consultation. It's a consultation as to which approach you. Yeah, can we have uh, some order there? Uh, we can't have the background noises okay. disturbing the deputy president while he's, uh, he's, 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 he's dealing with the question. It's ANC people. So order, honorable members. Uh, order. Please proceed, Deputy President. Thank you, Honorable Chair. We do write to members of the executive requesting them to prioritize responding to unanswered written questions. 
within the stipulated time frames. Where applicable, members of the executive with more than 10 outstanding responses are expected to provide reasons for not responding within stipulated timeframes and to further outline remedial actions to identify shortfalls. Furthermore, the Office of the Leader of Government Business in Parliament conducts an analysis of selected responses to ensure their accuracy and relevance. Through these efforts, we monitor that the executive complies with the rules of Parliament in the, in the execution of their responsibility to ensure transparency and accountability to Parliament. We do this not only to satisfy the obligation of accountability to Parliament, but equally to deepen public trust in our institutions and the functioning of the state in line with the democratic ethos as entrenched in our constitution. We wish to reiterate that the majority of members of the executive do make every effort to ensure that they comply with the rules. However, in instances where members have not fully complied, such reasons must be communicated procedurally to the presiding officers. Records will show that there is discernible improvement in this regard. We appeal now, to the NCOP that instances where questions should be directed to the provincial legislatures, we should try and do so, so as to ensure that accountability is sought through applicable, pointed, and relevant spheres of government. This should shorten the turnaround time for submission of replies and the quality thereof. As the executive, we want to reiterate our commitment to our constitutional obligations to parliament, including supporting all appropriate accountability mechanisms. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Deputy President. The first supplementary questions will come from Honorable Dwight. Honorable Dwight. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Deputy President, I posed a question to the Minister of Defence on the 2nd of August 2021, and that wasn't answered in time. I followed up on the 12th of November 2021, as well as on the 2nd of February 2022. And then a vague answer to the question was given on the 10th of February 2022. Deputy President, the relevant question referred to if any and how many weapons, ammunition, bombs, hand grenades, etc., were handed in by the MK soldiers after 1994 and if details of such could be provided. And the minister replied that the ministry didn't have records of the numbers of these items listed in question that were handed over. Now, clearly there must be records if any weapons, bombs, ammunition, etc., were handed in and or destroyed after the city. My question, Deputy President, in the light of the above and your initial answer, how will the minister be held accountable and what process do you suggest must be followed to get a comprehensive answer with the relevant figures and details within the prescribed time? Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Deputy President. Thank you very much, uh, Honourable Deputy President. Thank you very much, uh, Honourable Chairperson, and thanks for the question. I think uh, to cut matters short, I should request all members to register their dissatisfaction 
with the office of the leader of government business where they feel a bit unhappy, either with the response or the turnaround time. So that we avoid talking generally, we must try and talk to specific problems so that we get them resolved even for the future. Uh, so I'll, I'll request Honorable Chairperson that uh, if Honorable Members can, through the Chair, register all dissatisfactions that they've encountered with uh, members of the executive, where they think members did not give satisfactory answers, let's sit and look at that. That is why there's an office of leader of government in parliament, so that we can, we can talk and address these matters. I don't think uh, ministers are doing this deliberately just to avoid accountability. We know all of us that we are accountable here as a collective of ministers. We are also accountable as individuals in our different portfolios. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Deputy uh, President. Uh, the second supplementary question comes from DA Honorable Ryder. Honorable Ryder. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Deputy President. Um, I hear you saying we must refer these things uh, to you and give you specifics. This has been done, um, and you referred it through to the President. But now there was a report from Parliament recently that indicated that this, there exists a problem with the handling of questions. And according to that report, the biggest offender, as pointed out by the uh, follow-up question from Honourable Toy, the biggest offender for not answering questions is the Minister of Defence. Now, this minister was previously the Speaker of the National Assembly. So it's ironic that a person who held an office that is responsible for the entire oversight role of Parliament over the executive is now the most delinquent member of that executive. But you asked for specifics. So let's focus on a specific question. Uh, you are the leader of government business. So, yes, we're giving it to the leader of government business. Specific question. Let's focus on question 220 of 2020, where the Honourable George Michalakis asked the Minister of Cooperative Governance, and I quote, which municipality is regarded as the capital of the Republic of South Africa? The reply that came back from that minister was, and he has a quote, the information requested by the Honourable Member will be submitted as soon as it is available. Deputy President, your minister did not know where our nation's capital is. So in preparation for today's question session, we reminded her, knowing that this was going to come up, that the answer was still outstanding. Um, and it was still outstanding in spite of the fact she was ridiculed at the time in the media because of this. And by George, she finally answered. After two years, her and her inept team of overpaid advisors finally answered. And however, they only identified one of our country's three capitals. But she did answer. And yeah, one out of three, well, 30% is a pass mark by the ANC standards. Here's the question, Deputy President. The President seems unwilling to take action against these delinquent ministers. As the leader of government business, this now reflects directly on you. What have you done to restore the dignity of the executive in spite of its members? Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable uh, 
Deputy President. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson, and uh, thanks to the question. I'm happy that we're now narrowing everything to becoming specific. And uh, I'll request, Honorable Chairperson, that I single out this specific uh, question to the Honorable Minister so that we deal with it. But as I've said in my reply that uh, every time I, I present a report to cabinet on the performance of ministers in parliament, in the NSOP, in answering questions, now I always point out at ministers that are lagging behind and uh, write to them and request explanation why. Now, some of the ministers, when they answer to such inquiry, they bring forward the point that some of the question requires them to seek information from a municipality and from a province. And that affects the turnaround time and make it longer. Uh, that is why I even propose in my answer to say, if a question revolves around a certain municipality and the question is asked by the DA, it will be always better to request councillors of the DA to ask that question directly in that institution so that we save, we save time. If the question is about the province, it is always better to ask members of the legislature there to ask these questions. So that here you look at mainly at the national department and their roles. This is what, when I asked ministers about why are they delaying, they give some of this uh, what I've said now as reasons to the turnaround time, the delay. But however, with this specific question, I think about the minister, I'm prepared to take it up and, and resolve it. Finally, so that we understand each other, uh, if the minister is on the wrong, we will uh, correct that. Uh, the the essence of the leader of government is to ensure that we do comply. And you are correct to always re remind us to say, no, 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 we are not complying here, we are not complying here. But I'm here and I'm saying, I want to take up this matter because complying here is not a matter of choice. It should be an obligation that we carry as the members of the Executive Council. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Deputy President. The third uh, supplementary question comes from Honorable Lehihi. Honorable Lehihi. It doesn't seem like uh, Honorable Lehihi is there. Uh, and that being the case, yeah. Yes, uh, 
Dawson. Chairperson, may I take the follow-up for Lihihi? Please. Okay. Thank you, Chair. Deputy President, Parliament stands at the central constitutional mechanism for holding the executive to account. Failure to respond to parliamentary questions therefore amounts to a direct attack and a violation of South African constitution, which is a practice which has gone by unbated by the president and his cabinet. We know this to be true as just last year in 2021, the president and his cabinet did not answer 175 questions for written reply responses. Does the deputy president therefore agree that the president and his cabinet have no respect whatsoever for the constitution principle of accountability as a measure put in place to hold them to account? Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm aware of the outstanding questions that finally lapsed during the end of the year, mainly because some ministers did not answer those questions within the stipulated time, but they're still within the, the framework of not more than 10 questions a minister uh, must have an answer. So that means if a minister has got nine questions that are unanswered, the minister is persuaded to answer the nine. But if it's above 10, it becomes a problem. It becomes a problem, and we do all sorts of uh, means to get the minister to answer. Now, at the time when all the questions lapsed, Ministers were owing responses. Now, we want to find a mechanism that uh, we get these uh, questions to be answered to, even if they've lapsed, uh, a mechanism that would be acceptable to Parliament so that uh, we don't allow this practice to go on. We must uh, uh, apologize for those outstanding questions that finally lapsed. But going forward, we are going to insist on the members of the executive. Uh, myself and the president, we don't owe any questions. It might be uh, ministers that are owing questions. Um, but I don't think that constitutes a defiance, uh, people not wanting to respect the institutions uh, of parliament. Uh, it's an omission that must be corrected, which I take it as leader of government business. And uh, I've already conveyed it to cabinet, your disappointment about the outstanding questions. So our apology. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh...
Deputy President. The last uh, supplementary question comes from the ANC, Honorable uh, Muima. Honorable Muima. Thank you, uh, National Chairperson of the Council of Provinces, Honorable Masondo. Uh, allow me uh, to uh, convey my gratitude to the Deputy President uh, for the comprehensive response that he has given to the to the question. And in his response, the Deputy President made reference to uh, an analysis of select, selected response to questions uh, in order to ensure accuracy and accountability. Now, my question is, Honorable uh, Deputy President, has there been an instance where a minister raises a stipulated period within which to respond as a problem or as a challenge? And uh, from uh, the DP, would this necessitate uh, an approach uh, to uh, amend the rules for a reply to be given in 20 days instead of 10 working days? Thank you, Deputy President. Thank you, thank you, Honorable Chair. Thank you very much. Please proceed, Deputy President. Thank you. And thanks to the Honorable Member for the question. Indeed, uh, a number of uh, ministers, when asked about why are they not uh, answering the questions on time, uh, they will cite one or two challenges. Now, the first challenge is that for them to answer that question, they must collate the information outside their sphere of government. That means they'll have to go out to provinces to seek that information. They'll have to go out to municipalities to seek that information. And that affects the turnaround time. Now, we also advise the ministers that uh, if they find themselves in such a predicament, they must write back to uh, Parliament, National Council of Provinces, and indicate that, well, they, they're delaying in terms of answering the question. They request some extension of time because that is allowed. The NSOP can give an extension of time. Uh, if the reasons that are submitted, they are sound. So we have advised the ministers to, to do that so that they must indicate to parliament beforehand to say, no, 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 they are unable to meet this deadline. Here are the reasons. But again, in terms of your rule 249 of the NCOP rules, it provides that if you are unable to answer a question, a written question. That written question can be always converted to be an oral question where the minister can come and respond orally. So we must explore all mechanisms to get uh, the members of the executive to account. Um, from our side, we'll do our best 
to report to the presiding officers about uh, the work we do as a leader of government business, where we encounter problems, we are going to report to the presiding officers. And the presiding officers have got the right to impose sanctions to ministers that are not really adhering to uh, the timeframes in terms of questions that must be answered. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, um, uh, uh, Deputy President. Uh, the next question is a question on failure to act against. We have lost the chairperson. Uh, uh, thank you, honorable members. I can see that we have lost the chairperson, but uh, the next uh, question was going to be asked by honorable uh, on, on, D.S. Christian, was asked by honorable Christian to you, uh, Deputy President. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, our response last month uh, stands that we will monitor and provide support to the Premier of the Northern Cape province in addressing the situation of sewer spillage in Solplaki local municipalities, as we do elsewhere in similar cases. As we outline in our written response to the honorable members, Action is being undertaken to fix sewer spillage affecting Blattfontein community. In this regard, the Provincial Executive Council of the Northern Cape has established an interdepartmental committee that must identify the main causes of the sewer spillage in Blattfontein, assess the extent of the damage, and submit a corset plan with recommendation on how this challenge will be resolved. The Department of Water and Sanitation is also working closely with the province on efforts to resolve sewer spillages in Blattfontein to ensure that economic activities are not disrupted. To this end, the province has advised that bulk water pipes from Riverton to Kimberley are experiencing severe leaks, which have contributed to the obstruction of road R31 and access to the surrounding areas. The Solplaki local municipality has since carried out maintenance of major water leaks and improving turnaround time for reported and observed water leaks. The Solplaki local municipality has since announced a water shutdown so as to conduct much needed repairs on the bulk water infrastructure. During this shutdown, new equipment will be installed to cap uh, contamination of drinking water and further spillage. This operation is intended to improve 
water production efficiency and maintain the acceptable quality of water supply. In order to avert future spillages and damage to the infrastructure, the municipality has committed to ensuring that regular inspection on water and sanitation infrastructure is conducted, conduct refurbishment and reinforcement of Dachring Dam, upgrading of water and sanitation infrastructure to minimize incidents of leaks, pipe bursts, sewer spillages, and sewer failures. Furthermore, the Department of Water and Sanitation has assisted Solblike Municipality with repairs of the Koha Sewer Pump Station, which has significantly reduced the volume of sewer spillage in the area, as well as repairs to the Cutters Ridge Sewer Pump Station that is still in progress. As far as the maintenance of R31 Road is concerned, the province has advised that provincial department of roads and uh, of roads and public works has begun upgrading the roads to ensure that there are no further disruptions to economic activities. It is anticipated that on completion, this intervention will provide permanent solution to this challenge. The Interministerial Committee on Water and Sanitation we're satisfied with the progress reported, and we commit to continue monitoring this work to ensure access to water and sanitation services by all the residents of Platform Day. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, uh, Deputy President. The first uh, question is going to be asked by uh, Honorable Christian. Thank you very much. Um, House Chairperson. Uh, Deputy President, in your reply to me about the sewer and road issues in the Solplaiki municipality, you indicated that should it become necessary for you to intervene, that you would do so yourself. At that time, the R31 road was not closed. However, the R31 road has now completely collapsed since then. From Kimberley to Daniel Scale and all the way to Kuruman, commuters have been affected. Millions of rands of repair work is being done to lift the road up by 1.5 meters from the sewage instead of fixing the sewer issues. The sewer and fresh water leakage continues to raise by 40 millimeters per day. That means 64% of fresh water is also lost due to leaks. And no matter how high they lift that road, Deputy Chairperson, it is a temporary solution as that sewage and fresh water continues to leak. Sewer is now also spilling to the N12 road in Kimberley. All these sewer spillages is a huge health risk to the community of Kimberley and Platfontein, as very soon illnesses such as cholera, E. coli, typhoid fever will be the next disaster. Deputy President, the community of Kimberley is without water this entire weekend once again. Will you today give me a date of commitment to an oversight visit as well as a date for a public meeting open to the community of Kimberley so that you can witness the further and total collapse of the water and sewer system in the Solplaiki municipality yourself? Additionally, Deputy President, and more importantly, will you give Solplaiki a time frame 
and financial commitment to fix the collapsing sewer system in this municipality. Thank you very much, House Chairperson. Thanks very much, Honorable Member, Honorable Deputy President. Thank you very much. Uh, the, the challenge of uh, the sewer spillage in Solplaki, um, I took the Minister of uh, Water and Sanitation, we visited the area and we saw the sewer spillage and we committed ourselves that uh, the Department of Water and Sanitation would support the municipality in time to deal with the sewer spillage. And the report that we got is that uh, they are dealing with the sewer spillage and the sewer treatment plant is now working. So there is progress. Now, according to the honorable member, this problem still persists. And I would gladly set aside time to go and visit again so that I can see the progress that has been made. Now, I'm sure we'll come back and uh, after that visit, we'll respond to uh, the council, the National Council of Provinces, a, a response through the office of the chairperson so that all members can have an idea of what is happening in Solplaki as with regards to the sewer spillage. With regards to the road R31, uh, we've been given a, a response that uh, the road is under construction. They are improving the, the level of the road, increasing it by 1.5 meters. And uh, they are working on that. The pipe, the bulk water uh, pipe has been fixed. And in that, we are assured that uh, very soon uh, there will be water uh, in, uh, in Solplaki and Platfontaine. So we will also monitor this uh, work on the road and the availability of water as they are trying to fix the road. But from the reports that we have got, is that there is improvement. Yes, the road R31 is closed now, but there are bypass. The, there are roads that can uh, go to either Guruman via Kimberley. Uh, they vary in terms of kilometers, but it's not that the closure of this road can stop economic activities because there are other routes that can be used. They might be longer than this one, but this is not forever. It's a temporary measure as they are fixing the road. I think it will be okay. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, uh, Deputy uh, President. The next uh, follow-up question is going to be asked by Mr. Hatebe Pungan. Thank you, House Chairperson, Honorable Deputy President. The state of our roads in South Africa in general are in dire need for reform. 
especially the Moloto Corridor, Standerton, the N2 in Wazulu Natal, Pitunum Kababa and Stenga, and Okasamba, which claim many lives each year. Government has made many promises since that of the Zuma administration to fix these roads. I would like to know what is this government doing to meet the objectives and ensure that the money being allocated to provinces reaches the intended target in respect of, but not limited to, the above mentioned road infrastructure projects and whether there is any consequences imposed for not meeting these objectives. Thank you, Honorable House Chairperson. Thanks very much, uh, Honorable Member and Honorable President. Thank you. Thank you, House Chair. Well, uh, this sounds like a very new question. At, uh, I'll attempt to try and answer this question because uh, a number of our roads needs to be repaired. And why so? Because we are hauling goods, we are transporting coal, we are transporting manganese, we are transporting all sorts of things using trucks and that are found on our roads. And the maintenance of these roads become very expensive. I can talk about uh, roads in Limpopo, roads in Pumalanga, roads in the Northern Cape, where you see a lot of trucks that are holding manganese, lots of trucks that are holding coal, lots of trucks uh, holding uh, platinum. Now, this has been a challenge that has been facing the country because of all these mineral resources that we are found underground and we are carrying them wherever we are sending them through our road infrastructure. Now, the best decision that we have taken is to get this through rail, change, get the trucks out of the roads so that there will be low maintenance. Uh, these trucks are damaging our roads. In certain instances, between uh, KZN and uh, Pumalanga, they are holding coal to Richards Bay and they are using train, which is a good improvement. But generally, yes, I remember the, the state of our roads uh, is not in good condition but in the mainly because of the heavy haulage of all mineral resources to different places in the country, which is the main source of this uh, damage on our roads. I'm sure with time, we are going to move away from roads into rail transport our goods through rail is the cheapest form and low, less accidents and low maintenance on our, on our roads. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, uh, Honorable President. The next follow-up question is going to be asked by Ms. Sheikh.
Thank you very much, Chairperson, uh, and uh, thank you, Honorable Deputy President, for the responses to the questions and for outlining the supporting and monitoring interventions which are in line with the constitutional principles of cooperative governance as spelled out in Chapter 3 of the Constitution. Uh, Honorable Deputy President, I think you, you've covered my question uh, with regard to the closure of the R31 road between Homevale and Berkeley, Berkeley West. I think my interest was around the economic activity uh, with regard to the manganese trucks and whether there is an alternative uh, route uh, for, for the trucks to utilize. Uh, and I think you've covered my question. So thank you very much, Deputy. Thanks very much, Honorable Sheikh, Honorable President. Yeah, I think uh, the Honorable Member is uh, satisfied with the response that I've given, that there are alternative routes since this one, R31, is still under construction. Uh, economic activities are still uh, happening using those bypass uh, and the road is going to be fixed and in the shortest space of time, it will be open for, for business. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, uh, Honorable uh, Deputy President. The next uh, uh, follow-up question is going to be asked by Honorable Mokause, and I would like you to give uh, back uh, uh, to Chairperson Honorable Masondo, Honorable Council, you can come in. Thank you, House Chairperson. Uh, Deputy President, the R31 is a killer road and that's a fact. It's a death trap for road users between Postmansburg, Daniel Scale and Kuruma. This road is also an access road to the manganese and the iron ore corridor. There is no proper work done on the R31 since it collapsed. And we witnessed disruptions, detours which are putting financial burden to the road users. The detour roads that the Deputy President is speaking about, it vias Freiburg, which is about 250 in rents for uh, commuters to access Kimberley. Imagine now ambulances that are traveling on the R31 to access the tertiary hospital, both in Bloemfontein and in Kimberley. People die along the road while government is just folding their arms. Why has it taken so long for government to eat to the national government to intervene in this crisis that we are facing as road users of the R31. We have not seen any work done. It's simply patching the road. And after a month or so, the road collapses. Can we get a commitment from the deputy president as users of the R31 as to are we going to get a proper road on the R31? And when is this road going to be fixed and open? Thank you. Thanks, uh, Honourable Member, Deputy President. Thank you, House Chair. Well, uh, in response to the 
Honorable Member's question. The road is now under construction. In certain parts of the road, yes, you're correct, we're fixing potholes. But in certain parts of the road, the, ro the road is being lifted because it's under uh, wetlands. Whereas it passes, there are dams alongside and uh, affecting the road. So the road is being lifted. We have committed to go back and see the kind of work that is being done there and also to monitor the sewer spillages and probably give feedback in terms of the work that is being done. We're doing so because we visited the area at the request of this house. And if the house is not really satisfied with what is happening there, we'll once again take a visit and see for ourselves whether the work done on the sewer spillage, the work done on the road, it's satisfactory. We can all rest assured that we'll have our road back in a good condition. We'll have the sewer spillage stopped in all uh, uh, communities in Platform Day. So I'm, I'm confident that the provincial government will try its best to deal with the road. The national government is putting money in terms of dealing with the sewer spillage. And I'm going to go and monitor those projects and probably give the house a written feedback. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Deputy President. Uh, we'll now move on to the last question. And the question is on correct, correcting uh, design defects at, at power stations. Uh, this question is from uh, Honorable uh, Tisi Mudise and is directed to the Deputy President. Uh, Deputy President. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson. From the onset, we must admit uh, that Busile and Mudupi power stations have not achieved the desired levels of performance and reliability. This is due to a combination of operational plant design and maintenance inefficiencies. In order to establish for ourselves the progress being made in correcting the identified challenges, which in the main involve design effects of the power plant, the political task team on ESCOM undertook an oversight visit to Gusile Power Station. We have stressed to the management of ESCOM our stance that the defects identified at Mdupe and Usile power station must be corrected expeditiously to avoid further project delays and cost escalation. We can report that ESCOM is making progress in developing and implementing effective technical solution to the major plant defects at both Mdupe and Usile in line with the plant defect correction plan. As part of implementing this plan, the major design modification 
at all units at Mdupi resulted in a substantial improvement in the availability and reliability of the commissioned units at that power station. These units are now consistently achieving the design output with the exception of unit four, which suffered a generation failure, resulting in a prolonged outage. There are, however, long-term modification to the milling plant that will still need to be carried out when maintenance outages are scheduled. Similar modifications have, have been carried out at Uxile uh, 1, Uxile 2, and Uxile 3 currently on the planned outages for design defect correction. The time frame for the completion of the boiler plant defect solution is October 2023 and corrections to the milling plant will be completed after December 2027, depending on the outage availability of units. Honorable Chair, in addition to the following principles have been built into the process of correcting the design defects in Uxile and Midupi power stations respectively. All defects, are dealt with in accordance to contractual conditions. Liable contractors are being held accountable. ESCOM has also reached an agreement with boiler contractors in terms of which total boiler defect corrections cost will initially be split on a 50% share basis between ESCOM and the boiler contractor at both Mudupi and Uxili. In order to ensure good governance and compliance with ESCOM's commercial and procurement pro uh, process, ESCOM is utilizing its legal team to redraft the contract and to recover costs from reliable liable contractors. We want to take this opportunity to commend the parliamentary oversight and work undertaken by SCOPA, the Portfolio Committee on Public Enterprise, and the NTOP Select Committee on Public Enterprise for communication to keep ESCOM on check, thus ensuring it delivers on its mandate. The recent SCOPA visit at uh, Midupi and Gusile Power Station complement the work of the task team on ESCOM and ensure that collectively we make ESCOM work for the people of South Africa and the economy respectively. We remain concerned that ESCOM may have somewhat inadequately addressed the Scopus recommendations after the 2019 oversight visit. More specifically, the continued shift in terms of the projected completion dates on the Medupi and Uxile project. In the main, the inability of ESCOM to address COPA's recommendation on Uxile and Mdupi power stations and the shift of the completion date was impacted by the implementation of the COVID-19 risk-adjusted strategy. All of this resulted in interruptions to construction, the supply of technical parts, which ultimately affected maintenance work and meeting the completion dates. With regards to other governance and administrative recommendation, progress is being made to ensure that systems of accountability are enhanced. 
Going forward, the political trust team on ESCOM will continue to monitor the implementation of SCOPA recommendations by ESCOM in order to demonstrate the entity's commitment to operationalize the effectiveness, fiscal prudence, and delivery on the mandate of the power utility. Thank you very much. Deputy President, uh, the first supplementary question will come from Honorable Mundise. Honorable Mundise. Thank you very much and good afternoon, uh, Honorable Chairperson, my colleagues. Uh, Honorable Deputy President, allow me to first express my appreciation of the ongoing work done in addressing the challenge of energy generation and supply, including ex exploring alternative source of energy. The challenge of energy generation and supply have been exacerbated by the rampant criminality ranging from non-payment of electricity service, even by those with the means to do so. Illegally uh, electricity connection, vandalism and destruction of electricity infrastructure, which contributes to unplanned power failure. You can see even now. Honorable Deputy President, my question is, is there any integrated plan by government department within the three spheres of government to safeguard and protect the entire ESCOM electricity network? and infrastructure using the existing advanced technology. Thank you very much, um, David President. Thank you, thank you, Honorable Chairperson, and thanks for the question. Well, Honorable Chairperson, the, the entire grid, the network that uh, transmits uh, energy, from power station to the end users, that uh, grid belongs to ESCOM. All the power lines that you see, they belong to ESCOM. And ESCOM has, a good, has, has got a responsibility to maintain and ensure that these power lines are safe from all kinds of criminals, uh, there's, there's been no problem in terms of uh, the grid, except in cases where there are disasters. Uh, but ESCOM has got the capacity to fix those. As the task team on ESCOM, in trying to assist uh, ESCOM in terms of uh, their revenue collection, we put aside a multidisciplinary revenue committee, which comprises of uh, departments like COCTA, departments like public works, to ensure that government departments are the ones that must be seen paying for the electricity that they consume. I can safely say 
fear that all national government departments have paid their debts. We're struggling in terms of municipalities. Uh, some are paying, but they're defaulting at times. Uh, we're still dealing with that aspect of our revenue collection. There is, of course, some growing concern from members of the task team about the inability of certain municipalities to pay. And therefore, I've heard also members of this house proposing that uh, the kind of agreement that we are working on between ESCOM and Maluti, that should also be escalated to all other municipalities that are unable to pay, which I think uh, it's a proper way to go. But all in all, uh, there is uh, progress in the right direction in terms of uh, uh, the maintenance of the, the grid, uh, the network. More work needs to be done at the distribution point where municipalities are taking over, taking the electricity to household. There, we must still need to do some work in terms of illegal connections to remove those because that's where we lose electricity. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Deputy President. We'll proceed to the second supplementary question from Honorable Mkause. Honorable Mkause. Thank you, Chairperson of the Council. Uh, Deputy President, ESCOM Board Member Busima Vuso went to SCOPA and absolved ESCOM management of any responsibility of the mess that ESCOM is in and laid a blame squarely at the ANC government. Whilst blaming the ANC government is correct and is in order, what is the presidency's view on her refusal to account for the failures of the present leadership at ESCOM? taking into account that the present leadership has been in power for a couple of years now. Is it correct to also put the blame of load shedding squarely on this leadership of ESCOM? Thank you. Deputy President. Thank you very much. And thanks for that uh, question. Well, uh, with regard to ESCOM, we've got a board today that is responsible for the day-to-day -day management of the utility. And we've got the administrative arm of the utility that is led by the, C, the CEO. So really, uh, as a person who's leading the trust team, I have not seen any interference either by myself, who's leading all the ministers that are trying to assist ESCOM. I have not seen the interference of the minister responsible. So that can be debated, uh, the interference that is spoken about. All we're trying to do is to try and help ESCOM to meet its obligation. 
uh, all what we can request is that the board must do its work. The board must ensure that they deal with the problems that are affecting ESCO. Let us all work together. It's pointless to point fingers at each other and leave the challenges. It's up to this generation, which is confronted with this problem, to stand up and solve this problem. We'll be failing the nation, we'll be failing our people if we'll continue pointing fingers at each other and not resolving the problem. So the duty of the political task team is to try very hard to ensure that we put a helping hand, help ESCOM to deliver on its mandate. The country must have reliable energy supply so that we can create the necessary jobs that we need. We can allow businesses to grow. In turn, we'll be able to deal with unemployment, we'll be able to deal with poverty and inequality. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Deputy President. The third supplementary questions come from the Bray FF Plus. The Bray. Thank, thank you, Honorable Chair. Honorable Deputy President, according to reports and as well as in the media, ESCOM and the relevant contractors are currently sharing the cost on a 50 50 basis to rectify these design defects at these power plants. Now, my question would be why are the engineers? and all the companies that are responsible for these de design defects in the first place not being held accountable and why aren't they carrying the cost to rectify these defects and who was responsible for approving and accepting these specific designs in the first place thank you honorable president deputy president honorable deputy president thank you very much honorable chair well uh, we've asked that question uh, ourselves to escom and the answer that we got is that uh, all the different contracts have got different arrangement and uh, specification. There are contracts where the contractors are 100% liable uh, for any defects of the work. There are contracts that have been signed by the leadership of ESCOM then where these contracts are silent in terms of any defect that will happen, who should take responsibility. Now, ESCOM leadership have been trying to negotiate on those contracts where these contracts are silent in terms of the responsibility of any defects that is incurred in this uh, power stations, who should be responsible? Now, finally, they've settled the matter by allowing some of the contractors, especially the boiler contractors and ESCOM to share the cost of the defects 50-50. But all other contracts that have been signed They've got a clause that says any defect, the contractor is liable. So that is the situation, and we, we thought uh, for the sake of progress, we should proceed that way. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, uh, President.
the last uh, uh, supplementary question come from ABSB Smith. Honorable Smith. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Am I audible? Yes, you are. Thank you very much, Chair. Chair, um, both Judge President Raymond Zondo in the Zondo report, as well as his board member, Siwe uh, Mavuso, uh, squarely laid the blame for the mess at Madupi and Kusile power stations at the feet of the ANC. The saying is that the first step towards fixing a problem is by acknowledging that it exists. My question to you, Deputy President, is will you acknowledge that the ANC must take responsibility? And will you acknowledge that the ANC's policy of cadre deployment is directly responsible for the fact that poor workmanship were allowed to take place at Madupi and Kusile power station? Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, Deputy President. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson. From where I'm standing, I think uh, we can only acknowledge responsibility of the ANC government in the running of this uh, power utility ESCOM. But I must alert the Honorable Member that uh, at every point in uh, the life of ESCOM, there's been a CEO. There's been directors that are responsible for the running, day-to-day -day running of this power utility. Ever since, there's been a board that is responsible. Up until we are told what was the responsibility of those structures, the board itself, the administration, all the directors that are there, uh, for this crisis that we are facing today. Because what I can tell you is that what I see in ESCO, it's the lack of maintenance of these uh, power stations, is the cost overrun of the two new built that is Medupi and Usile. We have incurred we have incurred a lot of overruns, and there are design problems, which it was supposed to be the responsibility of the engineers that are working in ESCO, as well as the CEO at that time, to ensure that we avoid these unnecessary costs. We avoid these unnecessary defects. However, this is not a way of running away from the responsibility because uh, the government of the day is the government of the ANC. But there are people who have been appointed in different positions in this power utility to do certain specific jobs. Now, I can tell you that at a certain point, these people that have been appointed, they failed. They failed the government. 
But I said there's no use to point fingers at each other. Let us fix the problem. The problem is that we're faced with aging infrastructure uh, that we must decommission and find alternative energy generation mechanism, uh, especially uh, concentrating on renewable energy, which we are making progress. Currently, we have connected over 1,500 megawatt of energy into the grid coming from renewables. This is not going to be a permanent problem. We're going to get out of this problem, but it needs all our efforts and our positive mindset. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. No, thank you very much, Deputy uh, President. Uh, that, honorable members, takes us, takes us to the end of the questions uh, directed to the, the Deputy President. I would therefore like to take this opportunity to thank the Deputy President and all the special delegates for availing themselves. Uh, so uh, I, I, thought, I thought that it would also be important just to say apology for the system failure, uh, although Mangwenye was uh, came in handy uh, to hold the fort. <laughs> so thank, thank you very much, Mangwenya. Uh, honorable delegates, uh, that concludes the business of the day. The House is now adjourned. Thank you, Chair. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.